I'm Kate Daniels. Here's a great way to launch Black History Month, and that is with Valimar Jansen, the writer, director, and performer in the gospel musical I Will Live Until I Die. Betsy Beckman is the producer and also a performer in this uplifting musical, and both are here with us to provide insights and an invitation to a most memorable experience. Valimar Jensen and Betsy Beckman, it's so wonderful to have you join us this morning. Welcome. Thank Good you. To be so with, much. Yeah, thank you. Good to be with you. Exciting. Well, what is exciting is the reason for our connecting this morning so that we can have an opportunity to let people know what's going to be happening at the beginning of March right here in our Puget Sound, right here in Seattle. Uh, you know, when I first had my little taste of it, I I was in tears, joyful tears. And so that's what I'm anticipating then sharing with others that they learn about this and they will then be at the full experience. And so what we're talking about is a musical presentation on the life of Sister Thea Bowman, and the musical is what, Valimar? The title of the musical is I Will Live Until I Die, and live is in italics and underlined because that's what was Sister Thea's uh, mantra toward the end of her life, I will live fully until I die. (laughs) And what a message for any of us, really, right, is to just take this precious life we have and live it to the fullest. So we have this stunning example, really, in her, and you chose to, you really wrote this and and have included all the musical numbers, right, Valimar? I have, and the musical, all the music in the actual musical, uh, they are spirituals, and all of the spirituals are spirituals that Sister Thea sang when she was alive. Oh, so beautiful. Now, what may not be familiar to a lot of people, and and it certainly wasn't to me, is who Sister Thea was. Sister Thea was a Franciscan sister of perpetual adoration. She was the first African-American Franciscan sister of perpetual adoration, and she still remains the only African-American. There are other African Franciscan sisters of perpetual adoration, but she is still the only African-American. And Sister Thea was born in Yazoo City, Mississippi on December 29th, the fifth day of Christmas in 1937. And she was born to a a family of educators and her father was a doctor. Her mother and her her grandmother, maternal grandmother, were educators. She She was born into a situation of having older parents. Her father was 43 when she was born. Her mother was 37. So she used to joke and say, I'm an old folks child because she grew up around older people and she grew up valuing the old songs and the old stories that, that are a part of the Black uh, culture, in this, in, especially in the South. And so that she used to refer to herself as an old folks child. <laughs> and so she grew up singing these songs that, that are in the musical, uh, nine beautiful spirituals that, that go throughout the musical. And she grew up in Mississippi in the late 30s, early 40s. And if you know anything about the history of uh, American history, this is not a good time for people of African descent, especially in the state of Mississippi, which still is one of the poorest states in the United, in the Union. So uh, she grew up with um, a mother who was an educator and a father who was the first 
a medical doctor trained at Af of African descent, first black a doctor trained at Meharry Medical School in Nashville, Tennessee. Oh. So she has that kind of, and um, her grandmother, her maternal grandmother, Lizzie Coleman, was a very dynamic and well-known educator there in Mississippi. And she has a school named after her, uh, her grandmother does. So she comes from this kind of rich history of people who valued education. And then she went on to make the decision, did she, to, to enter the Franciscan order? Or was there a transition into something else? There is a, there is a transition. Maybe I could say a little yes. bit about that part of the story. Mm -hmm. So there were a group of sisters from Wisconsin who were members of the, the Franciscan order of perpetual adoration who came to Mississippi with the heart of service. They had a school there, and it so happens that young Thea, whose name at that time was Bertha, was educated by these white nuns up in the north. Yes. And it's important to note that the way she went from going to an all-Black school to going to be educated by these nuns is at the age, at, at the level of fifth grade, her parents found out she could not read or write at a fifth grade level, going to the schools that she was going to, the segregated schools in Mississippi. And so that's where they decided that she would go to this new school and go ahead and pick up the story there about Bertha. Yes. So Bertha, her education was advanced under the tutelage of the nuns, but not only that, the nuns had a true heart of service and they brought a loving depth of intention and of faith to the children that they served. And young Bertha was so moved by this quality of love, loving attention and prayerful uh, connection that she felt drawn to this particular order. As a young girl, a, a pre-teenage girl, she felt drawn. She grew up with a Protestant faith, but somehow, the Catholic sisters had a quality that was in, invoking Thea's spirit. And so she eventually made up her mind and told her parents that she wanted to join this order. And then, Val, maybe you could tell that next part of the story. Yes. The, the first part of that step towards that was she decided she was going to become Roman Catholic as a little girl, you know, after this experience with the nuns and this relationship that was built on love and loving presence of God, sharing God's love through these uh, nuns. And she grew up uh, in that school learning to, you know, what it meant to burn incense and chant these, these beautiful Latin chants. And so she decided to become Catholic as a little girl. And then eventually at the age of 15, she decided I'm going to become a nun. I'm going to be just like these beautiful Franciscan sisters of adoration. I want to serve God the way that they do. I want to love people the way that they love, love the, the example she had sh was shown of their love. So that's when she decided to go to the convent at the age of 15 and to leave Canton. She grew up in Canton, Mississippi. Um, and the way that she ended up in Canton, Mississippi, even though she was born in Yazoo City, remember I said earlier yeah. she was born in Yazoo City, at the time of her birth in 1937, Canton had no hospital for Black people. Mm. Wow. So it was a segregated house. It was for whites only. So if you had to 
go into the hospital, you had to drive to Yazoo City to get services. Oh, I know. What a tragedy. So this is the kind, I know, isn't that a tragedy? This is the kind of situation she grew up in. So when she was born, right before she was born, since her mother was 37 years old, that's considered aged. And <laughs> back in those <laughs> days, you know, very old for a woman to have her first baby. So when it was close to her mother's time, her mother moved in with a friend in Yazoo City. So that's why Sister Thea was born in Yazoo City, yet she was reared in Canton. And so she had never left Canton. And here she, at the age of 15, she was going to take a trip from Can from Canton, Mississippi, all the way to La Crosse, Wisconsin. And so this was a big deal because you remember, this is still segregation is still in its in force, right? Yes. And there were so many Jim Crow laws that were still being enforced that she was, according to Jim Crow law, she was supposed to sit in the baggage car when these sisters came to pick her up to bring her to Wisconsin. But, good. But the sisters who had a kind heart spoke to the the conductor of the train explained the situation and they were able to convince them that sister Thea could come and sit with them in the regular uh, yes. traveling passenger car. So this, this was the wonderful thing about, um, about sister Thea's life that showed that God's hand was on her life, even as a, a child, you know, even as a 15 year old. So she went from that to, to, you know, being able to go from Mississippi and be with these nuns and, and have her formation there at La Crosse. And something about that that is a lesson for us even today is the nuns. They could be you or me. These, these human beings speak up to say, no, we need her to be with us right? Yes. So yes. That, that really needs to be acknowledged and how each of us can be a, a source of change in our world. Oh, thank you for saying that. That is so very important. And that's what this play emphasizes. It emphasizes the ability of each person being an, an agent of change, each person being able to speak up and, and to uh, help usher in a greater sense of interconnectivity of our cultures. You know, uh, the idea that we're big, like Sister Thea used to say, we are a family of families, mm -hmm. you know, yes. and, and how we can each create that sense of being a family of families. Oh, yes. And also, once she joined the sisters in Wisconsin, she had entered a completely different culture. And she learned, she was willing to learn the Latin chants and enter into the monastic life, really. But eventually, the world was moving ahead with the civil rights movement, with Martin Luther King, with this new awareness dawning in the United States and in the church. And something happened inside of her that reconnected her with her roots. And God called her to be an agent of change with her true identity being able to shine through in her new role. Maybe you could talk some about how that happened for her. Well, she was in that culture at the mother house in La Crosse, Wisconsin, and she did everything she possibly could to be the most perfect nun. And while she was in formation, all of the civil rights movement was raging on the outside of this cloistered environment. 
And so she wasn't able to participate in the civil rights marches and all that. She was being formed as a nun. And so she did everything she could to conform to being, you know, the, the most perfect nun. And she loved Latin. I want people to understand because we have four Latin chants beautiful Latin, famous Latin, beloved Latin chants in the musical. She loved that. She loved the Latin chant and she loved gospel and she loved spirituals, you know, so she loved them both <laughs> equally. So when she went on to get a doctorate at Catholic University, she had a change, an epiphany happened to her. She had a personal thing that happened to her that changed her way of wanting to be a nun. You know, she was taught to have a kind of distance and to not get too close to people as a nun and not to get too involved in the interworkings of the different people's lives. But she had this epiphany and that's the high point of the play. So I don't want to give that away because I want people to come see the musical. She had this epiphany and it changed her and she decided to be who she was designed to be, this gregarious, joyful, and to use all of her gifts, singing and storytelling and singing the old spirituals as well as the Latin chants and singing gospel music and to be who she was as a Black Catholic. So she was a champion for Black Catholic worship, Black Catholic liturgies and masses. She was going around teaching that we can be authentically Catholic and truly Black at the same time you know, truly black and authentically Catholic. We can do this. And she was showing people how to do it. Not just saying that we can do it, but she was being a living example of how to do it. And so that's what the play, the musical is about. Oh, what a gift to be able to be present to that. Because of the parish, the church that I am part of, we get to really embrace the gospel music. And it is so invigorating. It is so alive. And that's a good reason to be at this musical, to come to see I will live until I die, because we'll get a little taste of it and well, I just trust that as things happen in our lives, they're always a seed for change and for growth. And who knows what may happen with that, right? Yes, yes, yes. Yes. And Sister Thea, she made it a great impact on the culture of the Catholic Church, which has been traditionally more in the hands of the white bishops, right? So at the end of her life, she was invited to come and speak to the bishops. And she made a most incredible impact on them. And that's one of the stories that we conclude our play with. Do you want to say anything more about that scene? I do. One of the things that I love about this musical that I wrote is that it's helping to make awareness of her cause. Sister Thea Bowman is actually a servant of God. And that's one of the first steps on the ladder to becoming a saint. The next step is venerable, the next step is blessed, and then you'll become canonized as a saint. So she's on that first rung of the ladder, and this helps to raise awareness to the fact that she is walking on this journey to becoming a saint. And in hearing and her about her life in the musical and seeing her life unfold, we recognize that we each have the potential to be a saint. <laughs> we each do, you know, so she's an ordinary person. And what she did at the end of her life 
was extraordinary. In 1984, she was diagnosed with breast cancer. And so by the time we get to this moment where she addresses the first time that I can find of, if someone can call in and, and tell us differently, there's no record of a black nun speaking to the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops. You know, she spoke to them in June of 1989 when she was in the throes of dealing with the ravages of cancer in her body. She was in a wheelchair, and yet she found the strength because of the Holy Spirit and because of God's blessing on her. She found the strength to speak to this gathering of over 200 white men, a few black bishops, very few that were there, and she spoke to them and took them on a history lesson of what it means to be Black and Catholic in today's American Roman Catholic Church. And so it's a beautiful address that I ask people to to just Google it. Go on and watch her do this address because we end the play with an excerpt of this address. And we end the play in a a wonderful way of building connection and community. And I don't want to give that away because I want it to be a cliffhanger. Come and see the musical. You will leave so uplifted by us doing this excerpt of her speech and the way that we end the play. You will have an experience that you will always remember after you see this this musical. I guarantee you, because of how we end it with her words, we end with her words and her actions and what it did for the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops. It can also do for each of us as we build community and connection. And we really need to get past our disunity mm. and yes. move towards unity and peace. All of the discordant voices that are happening and all of the aggressive and violent kind of language that's being tossed and bantied about. I believe that it's one by one one person reaching out, making a connection with another person, that we can just sway the direction and how we're headed as a country, as a community, as a city. You know, I really believe we can do it. I'm right there with you, Valimar. I know Betsy is too. So the musical, let's give some details as to when and where and how. Okay, Betsy, go ahead as our producer. (laughs) Betsy is the producer of our musical. (laughs) Yes, it's a great honor to be a producer of this musical. So we are showing this play on March 1st and 2nd. And it's going to be at a special location, which is St. Patrick Church. Now, there's a history of this church, which is significant to this story, which is that some of you who might be paying attention to the the changes that are happening in church structures in current day, you might know that the archdiocese, the Catholic Archdiocese of Seattle, is needing to make some changes in order to consolidate parishes because, well, one of the reasons is there aren't enough priests to serve all of the existing locations. So, A year and a half ago, this church of St. Patrick was closed, and the people of St. Patrick were invited to go join St. Joseph Parish up the hill. So if any of you have ever been in a community that's had to die to be released, it's a process of grief, of releasing, of letting go. And yet, so St. Patrick's Church went through this death, but the structure itself, this church has been waiting for something a new life, a rebirth, a resurrection to happen. So we're so grateful that St. Joseph Parish is the host and sponsor of this play. We're bringing Valimar in. 
And our theater space is going to be the newly reclaimed St. Patrick Church, which is at the very north edge of Capitol Hill, at right by I-5 at the Roanoke Street exit. So it's very accessible and it's a good crossroads because we have people from the north who might want to come into town, people from the central district and the further reaches to the south can all convene and the central point, which is kind of what we're called to is part of Sister Thea's vision that people from different backgrounds, different cultural connections, different church locations come together. Like we're not divided by boundaries. We're called to co-create. Mm-hmm. So we hope that you can come at seven o'clock on March 1st or March 2nd, and you'll find that the first part of our evening will feature local gospel choirs. Yes, in a mini gospel concert, baby, you don't want to miss it. They're awesome. (laughs) Yes, it's roof raising, that kind of gospel music. And to be able to feature some of our local choirs, one of whom is Shades of Praise, directed by Kent Stevenson, who's been around leading us in gospel music for 40 or more years. So he's really a beloved leader in our Black community, our Black Catholic community, and beyond that, to share the gift of gospel music. So his choir, as well as a number of other choirs, will be featured. And we have three young Black female divas from the age of 18 through early 20s that are part of this gospel concert. And I mean, we're talking Sunday best quality, (laughs) you know, so they're going to be doing solos as part of the concert as well. Not that our show features a 10 member cast called Visionary Voices that Valmar works with in Los Angeles, which is her home. So we have this like special crop of key people who are coming to Seattle, but we also have a beautiful showing of local talent, both acting talent and singing talent from across a variety of communities who will make up the gospel choir in the show and also the choir of nuns who will be singing the Latin chant. So the beautiful blending of cultures, traditions, and and communities here in Seattle is a really special feature of our offering. So the pre-show gospel concert is from 7 to 7.45. Then we take a break and at 8 o'clock curtain, the musical I Will Live Until I Die will take place. And what Betsy didn't say about this space of beautiful St. Patrick Church, if you've ever been there, you know how beautiful it is. It has been transformed by a set designer to look like an absolutely beautiful set in a theater. So yeah, you don't want to miss it. So you want to give them the other, the address and that kind of thing. And where to get tickets. Right. Oh, yes. So you can go online to St. Joseph Church. The website is stjosephparish.org. But that's where we're selling the tickets. The tickets are $20 for regular folks, but we have wonderful family deals for those for young and older folks. We give you a good discount on your tickets because we really want this to be manageable for people of all stripes. And the address is 815 South Edgar. Mm -hmm. So that is the address for the front door of the church. And there is a parking lot and there's also street parking. And in that same spirit of Sister Thea Bowman, 
we are having a reception after the, the play. You're welcome to come down to a beautifully decorated space to just engage with the actors uh, and the 30 voice gospel choir that you are going to see during the, the musical. So you're welcome to come down and interact and continue the idea and the reality of community building. And Valimar, what do you think about sharing a bit of uh, one of the numbers with us to give people a sense of what they can expect? Well, I will share what Sister Thea, what was considered one of her signature songs, and that is something that you probably learn, many of you of your Protestant in Vacation Bible School. It's a song that once I start singing it, wherever we perform this musical, and we've performed it before in different cities across the nation, we have, especially the little children and the teenagers, they'll stand up and start singing the song with us. And it goes like this. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. So beautiful and it just, I think we can all or most of us can really identify with that and it's familiar and and says so much and i you know the fact that it was a favorite for sister thea bowman that that it really showcases her life she was a light she continues to be a light yes 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 and she says to each of us if each of us would just bring our own little light and we put our light together oh what a great light we would have Amen. Amen. Yes. So we still have a couple of minutes. And so following that, uh, thinking about how we might be the light and how we live our life. Uh, Betsy had mentioned to me earlier about how you uh, have had a vision of how this was going to work, Valimar. But then, you know, little pivots happen and you adjust. And so has it it's not necessarily been a smooth path, but everything has ultimately worked out. You know, I I don't want the smooth path. It's those little detours that you, if you don't take the little detour, you're like, oh, my goodness, look what I would, would have missed if I didn't take this little detour. For instance, there was a, an issue about having casting a, a, a minor in the play, a little girl, you know, because there's one character that's a seven-year-old. Well, during the audition, this... 17 year old was just knocked our socks off. And so I said, you know what? Let me take the character that was seven year old and let me rewrite it for the 17 year old. You know, <laughs> so it's those kind of things as a playwright, I can I can take the the uh the material and I can tailor it so that it fits the community that I'm in. And I am more than willing to do that as the playwright. And if I wasn't the playwright, we wouldn't be able to do that, right? We'd have to just do the script that we have. But because God has placed this passion in me to bring her story forth and, and to do it and tailor it to every community, I love the little detours that cause it even greater, more beautiful work to happen with the synergy that happens. That is so beautiful. And that that is true really for each of us to not be bowled down by something that's a, a pivot here. You embrace it as something good and something good comes of it and, and potentially makes it greater. It also, though, attests to your talent to 
to flex and to rewrite and to just willingly do so. I have a producer who is so supportive in this process because she herself is a creative and she's playing a character in the play, in the musical, and she's also one of the choreographers for the musical. So I happen to be working with a, a producer who's also a creative. And so that allows for the, the, the work to be living and breathing and growing. So I'm very grateful for to Betsy Beckman. Kate, could I say something in honor of Valimar also? About one year ago, Valimar was a featured soloist at Carnegie Hall. And it was an incredible highlight for her career. And she invited me to be a solo dancer at that event. Yes. So we, about a year ago, we shared this amazing trip to New York City. And I got to say that whether Valimar is at St. Patrick Church or Carnegie Hall, she delivers with the same integrity, with the same beauty, with the same commitment, with the same spirit that is her internal spark. And I really feel that that's why it's one of the reasons Valimar is called to share Thea Bowman, because Thea Bowman and Valimar have this, this kinship mm. that the arts mm. are have this special gift that brings people together and heals. It heals because we get to know each other and we become brother and sister on the path. Yes. And one slight correction, my dear Betsy, honey, I was a headliner. I was a co-headliner at Carnegie Hall. And in this work, it's not me that's the headliner. It's Sister Thea Bowman. I want people to leave remembering her more than remembering me. So thank you. Thank you for all that you're doing to bring this to light. I'm so, so grateful to be on this radio show and to to say what we're saying. Oh, I'm just thrilled that the way things worked out, that we connected so that this could happen. I mean, that in itself feels like it has a little of the miraculous around it. And so March 1st and 2nd, it's the best gift we can give ourselves for whatever the occasion, just to be there and to experience this. And, you know, everything that's been said only underscores the reason why and the need to be there. And so I am so grateful to both of you, Belmar Jensen and Betsy Beckman, for being here and giving us uh, this insight and inviting us to be participants as well. My deepest gratitude to you. Thank you so greatly. Thank you so much. Thank you for having us.